Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Campionato di calcio italiano. Hello everyone and welcome to the Italian Football Fancast. My name is Connell Shaw and I'm your host for this week. You may remember me if you listened to any of the podcasts last year and I am back. And uh, thank you to Mr. Drew Farmer for opening the first podcast of the season last week. He did an excellent job and one of his guests is actually returning this week along with another favourite of mine. But we won't get into that straight away because first we have some, some issues to address which is the hosting issues of the podcast. Of course, some of you have asked about it. You've all waited so patiently for us to come back after such a long time. And we promise you that we'll have it sorted soon. We're still searching for a, a very fast solution. It should be sorted right away, but for now, you can find us on iTunes. So now let's get right into things with the guests. And the one returning is everyone's favourite, Nicholas Carroll. Hello, Connell. I'm very excited to be back again. Steady our season started, but... More so, I'm glad to see that you're alive and well. I was a bit worried for a few months there. Thought we lost you, but good to see you back. Who else to share my return with? Inter's performance today kind of took me down a notch, so the excitement can soon turn sour. Quite disappointing given the off-season, and it's continued into the, the season so far, well, after De Boer's first match in charge. So I'm going I might be a bit down in the drugs. Obviously, it's just concluded... No, 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 no! Don't cry! Come on, be happy that we're back. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'll, tr- I'll try. Your, your voice has certainly helped, knowing that you're alive. So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna soothe you. I'm gonna calm you, Nicholas. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> we've also got Liam Stewart, and he's returning after a, a long uh, off period, just as myself. Before you say it, Liam, I know it. We're glad to be back. You know, I'm, I'm really glad to be back. Uh, I miss these uh, kind of late nights from our weekly routine. Um, I'm really excited to be, uh, have uh, Serie A back as well, especially after this weekend's action. It was pretty good, wasn't it? It was. It was very exciting. Over a, an average of uh, over three goals per game, in fact. So it sort of silenced all the people that said Serie A is just a boring league. I actually have a, a good stat for that. 32 goals in total this round, which was the equal highest for the... Um, since the turn of the century, and the only other two years that also reached 32 was 0203 and 0304, which uh, back then it was only nine matches, but still it's um, the first in what? That's 12 years, the highest opening round of goals. Upper hints, perhaps hints at what's yet to come. Yeah, I'm not sure if it says too much about attack as opposed to uh, lacking in defence. We'll see. Anything that's. <laughs> that... <laughs> Puts a sort of excitement in contrast to the dullness of Juve winning everything. But let's get straight to the first game, in fact. This is the one that, as I said, perhaps does hint at the high scoring that could come, whether it be defence or attack. But I am, of course, talking about Roma and Udinese. It was 4-0 to Roma at the Stadio Olimpico. There were goals from Diego Porotti, two of which were penalties. We had goals from Mohamed Salah and Edin Dzeko as well. So, guys... Let's get straight into discussing this. First off, it's obvious that we're going to talk about the penalties because these penalties 
They were quite controversial, in fact, arguments that they shouldn't have been given at all, and it would have made the match much more even. Well, I think the first one is clearly not a penalty. I mean, to be fair to Dzeko, it's, it's quite a smart dive in that Danilo is kind of kind of leading with his leg there, and Dzeko's just kind of noticed that. But it's definitely there's definitely no contact, or if there is any, it's minimal at best. The second one I'm a bit more dubious about because I think the pace that Salah is going at, I can imagine, you know, just the slightest kind of touch kind of maybe knocking you off balance. And I think Badu is, you know, he's t- he's just taking a risk there, really getting kind of so tight. So that one I'm maybe more inclined to, to agree with it being given, but this first one definitely not a penalty. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Dzeko obviously went down with no touch, which was a bit disappointing to see, I guess. But, you know, a, a lot of strikers will do that these days. And then, yeah, the second penalty kind of probably could have gone either way. I mean, 50-50, it's, I don't think it was overly controversial either way, really. But it was a bit disappointing in that, you know, while Roma had the majority of the play, the Udinese were still in there and they were holding on. And they had they managed to get quite a few shots in. But after those two penalties, it seemed that was um, the second one was very much the killing blow. And from there, they just seemed to completely give up. So... I think the 4-0 scoreline was a bit rough, to be honest, for Udinese. But would you would you seen them of coming into the game at all, perhaps scoring a goal? Because it was quite dull, admittedly, before the penalties. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. The, it was one of those situations where Roma had, like I said, had the possession, but it was one of those games where you could kind of see Udinese just getting that breakaway goal, and it was looking more and more likely that they might do that. It would have been good to make it a bit more interesting, if not for the penalties. And so the two other goal scorers as well, besides Parati, who scored both the penalties, one of them was Dzeko, which, but judging by his goal, which was a tap-in, it's hard to predict for his season, but is, could he have a slight revival? No. No. Simple as that. <laughs> uh, I, I, no. I like, you know, I'm sure he'll get a few, but even in uh, the pre-season games, he, wasn't, he was a bit kind of um, back to his old self. That's, and and this might potentially haunt Roma because if they want to be pushing for getting a Champions League spot, even a Scudetto. Well, I, I kind of disagree with you on that, Connell, because towards the end of last season, you know, Jacko was primarily a substitute for Spalletti, and fared, they fared really well with that false nine system that Spalletti loves to use, and that he uh, kind of developed in his first time during uh, at Roma. So even though I think even if Dzeko doesn't improve on his last season, which I think he will, to be fair, I think, you know, last season he clearly just suffered a huge dip in confidence. And you can see that every time he played for Roma, he looks pretty down most of the time. I think, you know, with Salah, uh, El Shirari, Golan looks like he could be a pretty decent poacher if he gets played in that kind of old... Uh, Simone Perotta role uh, again. So I, I think they could still not... I don't think anyone's going to challenge Juve this season, but I don't see how... I think Roma is still pretty certain for the kind of top three this season. But is it not the sort of Arsenal and Olivier Giroud conundrum? Because <laughs> while, while they still have a competent enough striker who can score goals and vital goals can be at that, it's still not the quality that they really, really need to push for higher targets. No, I, I'll definitely admit that I don't, I don't think Dzeko is stylistically in that he is also kind of like Giroud, he's quite a big kind of immobile target man. Uh, the player that Romed would like, and I also don't think he's, you know, the striker of quality that like, I mean, someone that I think would really suit them is Berardi from Sassuolo, who, you know, if I think Spalletti could do wonders with him, maybe putting him up front, you know, as a central striker. Probably not likely at all, considering that I think Sassuolo are determined to keep him. But um, they de- I'd, I'd say they definitely need to kind of maybe add another you know, mo- more mobile striker, at least, to give, them, give Spalletti some more options, probably. And what about further down the field in midfield? Because they are obviously missing the talisman from last year, Miralem Pjanic. In many ways, they, they seemed slightly empty without him, don't you think, before the opening goals? Yeah, I, I agree. It's definitely a massive hole to fill with Pjanic going. It's definitely not something they're going to fix overnight, and they haven't really got anyone in an, in the transfer window to help fill that. So they are going to be lacking any uh, something from that midfield for, for the season, it seems. I mean... Pjanic did lead the assist last season. You know, they've got Strootman in there, which is good to see him back, obviously very much in the defensive side of things, but he's very much solidified that 
uh, midfield and he'll do wonders for them if he can stay healthy. But yeah, they're, they're going to lack that, that kind of midfield presence moving forward, which um, seems like it might put more reliance on the wing play. But, you know, with the likes of Perez in, that could possibly help beating up to Salah, obviously, down the wing. So um, that could be a little combination that will come to fruition quite a bit this season. It does beg the question, though. Is it necessary to find somebody to fill the hole or just perhaps restructure the midfield in a way that they utilise the players that they have got? I wouldn't mind Roma possibly changing formation to a 4-2-3-1, possibly putting Perotti in kind of a, a central attacking mid-roll because I think he, he really showed when he came on at the weekend that he's got that vision and he's got the ability to pick numerous through balls through, uh, for kind of Salah, El Shirari, Dzeko. Also, I, don't, I, I think, you know, even though I, Pjanic is probably going to be a big miss for them, I don't, I think Paredes is, after a good season at Empoli, I thought, could at least step in to some of the void that uh, has been left by Pjanic's departure. In a way, staying on the topic of Pjanic, he didn't play at the weekend because he was out with a slight muscle injury, slight fatigue to him. But his team did, his team of course being Juventus, and they won 2-1 against arch-rivals Fiorentina. In that game, Sami Kadira opened the scoring, the thumping header after 30 minutes before Nikola Kalinic scored in a similar fashion in the second half. Just when it seemed that the Viola were right back in the game, arguably the signing of the summer, definitely the most controversial signing of the summer, Gonzalo Higuain, he came on, and his impact on the match was, well, even larger than his waistline, Liam. He scored the winning goal in his debut, and just after nine minutes on the pitch. It was, uh, it was a really, really impressive debut, and I thought it was a pretty good finish, actually, because I, I don't know how he got it in at that angle, uh, to be fair, because Tatarasano really probably should have done better considering he's at his near post but uh, all those slights about his weight and the price tag and all that kind of stuff are kind of people are going to eventually have to shut up about that because I think he's just a quality player and at least for the next couple of seasons or at least for this season I think he's going to prove that to be honest I mean you'd imagine that Mandzukic probably falls out of the side to accommodate Higuain and Dybala because I don't think Allegri's going to move Dybala out wide and that's a deadly front two and it's it's quite scary really that this league could really be with those two up front and Juventus's defence as well could really be quite uncompetitive this season. Well you mentioned about the jives about his price tag but Nick you're not all too fond of these people that are saying uh, well that's what you pay 94 million for. No well I've I mean, look, it's, no one's questioning his talent, but I mean, let's not go crazy about his goal. <laughs> it was quite amusing the the way the media kind of took that and ran with it. It kind of wrote the headlines for for the next day of Serie A. So, you know, it's a nice story and all, but um, he's still got a long way to go to to really show whether he's worth that kind of money, I think. But Higuain aside... Um, I th- it was interesting to see the way uh, Juventus were attacking and how they were using the ball, obviously with um, the big absence of Pogba this week and, as you mentioned, Pjanic not playing. They actually averaged uh, just 21% of their t- attack was down the middle of the field. And last season, I think they averaged 27%. So there was that kind of that big drop in uh, midfield play, that central midfield play. So it'd be interesting to see how Pjanic will come in there. Obviously, Pogba demanded the ball quite a bit. But in saying that, Danny Elvis came in and I thought he uh, made a huge contribution to their team down that right-hand side. I think he had he amassed 102 touches, uh, had uh, how many 90 passes, which was quite considerable down that right flank. So a lot of the play, I think 42% of the play came down that right-hand side of their attack. So. He was very much uh, almost central to what they were doing. So it was interesting to see those the wingers came into play more for Juventus. So um, I'm interested to see how that plays out with Pjanic coming back, as I mentioned. But um, yeah, Danny Alves looked very much the part for them and he looks like he'll be a force this season. Well, there are no doubts about Juve in that game, no scares at all. There was. It wasn't by any means a perfect performance by them they obviously the first half they came out and absolutely dominated Fiorentina um, and Fiorentina weren't really in the match the first 45 minutes um, they came out the second half and I'm a bit kind of almost confused as to whether it was Juventus that backed off or whether Fiorentina kind of 
stepped it up a notch. Um, I have the feeling it was more Juventus not really um, going for the kill and just playing along with it. Um, and if we're honest, you look at Kalinic's goal, that was very bad marking by Alexandra, I think it was. So from a set piece, I'm pretty sure it was from memory. Yeah, from a corner. So, And that's some of the, some of those kind of problems that were come, popping their head out uh, early last season for Juventus. So it's something they need to be mindful of, obviously. But they did what they needed to do because as soon as they conceded, they stepped it up and got that goal back, the winning goal. So um, I think they showed that they are going to be well and truly above the rest of the field. But it was by no means a perfect performance. Is it more of a question then of if Juve will win the Scudetto again or rather just when will they? I think it's just a question of, you know, when. Roma looked decent yesterday. I, I really do relate to Spalletti as a coach, but again, I think just in terms of the depth that Juventus has, it's pretty remarkable, really. And I, I mean, the only thing that possibly could sidetrack them is if they went really, really far in the Champions League, which with their squad, it, it's not implausible by any means. And I think that's kind of what Higuain, the signing of Higuain was for, really. I think that that's what Juventus really want to go for this season, it is that Champions League, because they've, they've shown that they've conquered Syria and I think they could conquer it this season and easily also win the Champions League at the same time and win the Champions League I think they're definitely in with a shout of winning the Champions League it's going. It's obviously extremely difficult with Barcelona Bayern Munich Real Madrid but um, I, th- I definitely think Juventus can win the Champions League with Higuain and Dybala and also with Allegri as a coach because he's he's shown before that how kind of his ability with uh, to teach teams different various tactics various tactical setups which you know I think in the Champions League is really what's crucial um, as we've seen throughout the last few seasons of Atletico Madrid's kind of success. Liam just going on that do, do you think um, obviously they've been up there the last couple of seasons the likes of Pogba as you mentioned they have and I kind of agree they have probably strengthened their squad altogether but do you think they have the experience to, to beat the the Barcelonas and the Real Madrids, or are they are they is their squad actually up to that kind of level, or is it going to take um, a bit of luck? Because I'm just not sure whether they're quite as a team up to that standard. I mean, I think winning a Champions League always takes quite mm. a bit of luck, unless you're kind of maybe a Barcelona or a Real Madrid. But I think they can definitely make it. You know, if Atletico Madrid can make it as far as the final. I, I think Juventus with Allegri, who I who again I think is a top top coach. They definitely can reach the last stages. And I, I, top coach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he's a top coach. Excellent coach. Do you not remember? No. Do you not remember when he took them to the Champions League final two two, two seasons ago? I remember when he picked up Conte's team. Conte never got even close to the Champions League semi-final, let alone the final. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Allegri is definitely a, a, a very, very good coach. You know. Uh, yeah, okay, he's a top coach, but would you put him up there with the likes of Ancelotti, Guardiola? I'd sa- I'd argue he's at least as good as... Not Guardiola level. I, d- I think Guardiola is on a different level to every kind of coach in Europe. But uh, I'd say he's on a similar level to Ancelotti. I, I think people kind of overrate Ancelotti to a certain extent because of his Champions League success. The amount of actual league titles that Ancelotti's won is, he's, I think he's won like three or something like that. It's, it basically, it's not a lot, essentially. He is certainly up there with the top coaches in Europe. You know, that Champions League run of two seasons ago was extremely impressive. And also, they, you know, they got so close to beating Bayern last, last season. I mean, that second leg performance was pretty amazing, and I thought they got quite lucky towards the end. Okay, well, uh, I, I, can, I can see your opinion. I can see the, uh, for me, Allegri, I'd say, I don't want to say that he's a Wenger character, because I don't want to compare his management style in any means, but it's just the opinion that people hold on him. One minute at the start of last season, when he didn't play Dybala, he was a, he was a headless coach who didn't know anything. But then when Dybala starts doing good, it's all his master plan and he knew it all along. Seems to change quite quickly. No, I understand that. And I, th- I, I agree with you that last season he probably threw, you know, was too cautious with Dybala. But then you also have to recognise that, you know, Juventus made a shocking start to last season, a really, really bad start. And, you know, he he turned that around. He got that team working. He got He gelled all those players relatively quickly after that start and then they went on that ridiculous run of form that defense was ludicrously good 
And I don't think, you know, you just that you don't just get that by having, you know, really, really good players. I think that actually has to take, you know, defensive defending is a very is much less individual than it used to be in kind of the 1980s and the 1990s. You know, the referees, you know, the rule, the changes to the game's rules have made sure that defenders, you know, they can't just kick people out of the game now. You know, it's all about defensive systems. I think he is he's a great coach at, at masterminding a side that can de- defend superbly well whilst also attack at the same time and be uh, pretty uh, prolific in attack. Well, let's not talk too much about the fences because we really don't want to upset Nick this episode. But we will talk about uh, shocking starts. Uh, no, Nick, again, I'm not talking about Inter. But uh, top coaches as well. And uh, everyone knows Paolo Sosa, top coach. So... Fiorentina, they've had a, of course, an even more shocking start after they lost to Juventus. That's now six games in a row they've lost, including their preseason. What exactly is going wrong with them? Uh, I'm not sure if it's what's going wrong as opposed to nothing's going or nothing's happening really. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, as a Fiorentina fan yourself, Connell, I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's not really much to be excited about at the moment, is there? Like, I can't. Really- <sighs> Well, uh, every season, uh, it's Giuseppe Rossi as the yeah. uh, the key signing. Uh, that, that's effectively what it is, and it's sort of a sorry state, in fact, that that's what it's turned to. I wouldn't directly blame it on the management, because it's all too easy to say that it's the management's fault as to why a team isn't performing. But when every year, year in, year out, you're saying that this player, as much as I love him, this player that hasn't been able to perform on a consistent basis due to injuries... And you're saying that he's the the key signing, he's the one true signing, just because he's coming back from injury, you've sort of got to evaluate your situation. And for Fiorentina, the team has more or less stayed the same than last season, apart from Carlos Sanchez being brought in and the whole tail thing has finally been sorted out. But it's it's just performing the same way that they did at the back end of last season, which is quite depressing, really. Exactly, and that's that's my point. Like I, I had mentioned it in the first podcast that I was hoping they would put a bit of investment to kick on from last season's. But the the thing is, and you mentioned it there, that it, it was their, their result was largely because of the first half of the season. If they just took the results from the last half, I mean, they wouldn't be near the top three. So it's a bit concerning that they've taken that team that's kind of just you know slowly made it to the finish line and. That's what they're going forward with. It's, it, I mean, and you saw it against Juventus. While it was Juve, they, 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 I didn't feel like they added much to that match at all. You really want something to be happening in the transfer window. Otherwise, I, I can't see them pushing for very, very much at all this season. The fact is, is that the sporting director has said, oh, yeah, we, t- we take a defender and another player and the team will be complete. And quite frankly, the players that are on the pitch should be taking better results. When you look at the attack, players like the rumoured starting two, which is yet to happen between Giuseppe Rossi and Nikola Kalinic, those two alone should be getting lots of goals. And then when you've got Bernadeschi, uh, Teo, all these attacking players, even Badel and Vecino, you should be getting the goals, really. There is nothing in that team that limits them barring Tomovic. I think, you know, they obviously need investment because it's not a top-level squad. And if you want to get into that top three, which I presume is Fiorentina's aim, considering that they keep consistently getting uh, Europa League football every season, but are always short of that uh, third-place spot. As you say, there's talent there. And to be honest, with the business that you have done this season, I'd be quite disappointed. I mean, Teo is, you know, is, is fine. You know, he's a pretty decent winger. But Carlos Sanchez, I've watched reasonable amount of him in the Premier League with Aston Villa, and he is pretty awful. I'd say he's a live body, basically. That's all he is, really. You know, and I presume he's dead because he's not anywhere near as good as Vecino or Badel. He's not going to be a starter, but he's from what I've seen of him, his positional play is awful. He can't really pass the ball. Like I said, he's a live body. And haven't you also signed Sebastian De Maio? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, yes, they signed him on loan from Anderlecht, in fact. Oh, really? Oh, really? Oh, yeah, he, he stayed there one month, <laughs> uh, much like uh, much like Castan and uh, Sampdoria. But 
what you're saying about the live bodies is it's sort of a thing that f- it's a running gag if you're a team that it's just becoming a bit old. It seems to be they're doing it every season now. And it's quite usually always with a midfielder. It's always one running body useless midfielder that isn't needed. Uh, look at players like, as good as they can be on their day, they just didn't perform for Fiorentina and it's not worth it. Yasmin Kurtic, Alberto Costa, and now Carlos Sanchez. Yeah, I, I mean, do you think they're just signing these players to appease the fans? I mean, is there literally no money at the club? Is that Absolutely. I think yeah. they're signing it to please the fans. Mm. I I, I do think there is money at the club, but I think they're signing it to players of fans have simply because they're demanding players. Yeah. And if you bring in a player, then people are more or less going to shut up. Granted, it's always better to reinforce the midfield, especially with the injuries that occur to Borca Valero and also Milan Bedoc, his agent, running his mouth all the time, saying that how he wants out the club. Yeah. But it's no reason not to spend money. And I think ever since the Mario Gomez investment for 16 million euros, I think it was, the club has been afraid to spend money. Whatsoever. I mean, the thing is, uh, I can understand maybe the you know if you're a Fiorentina and there's kind of you know there's a reticence to an unwillingness to spend big because you know it, you, you can get those situations like Mario Gomez, but I don't understand why they can't do something similar to what Borussia Dortmund are doing this season and uh, kind of buying a whole load of kind of very talented you know youngsters who similar to kind of the likes of Bernadeschi and, and Teo who either eventually you could probably maybe sell on, you know, for a relatively the same price you got them for, uh, if they don't work out, or or and then it often the off chance that they actually do fulfil their potential, you know, you've got a you make a huge windfall. I don't see why that doesn't why the club don't use that as their transfer strategy. I would just say it's a as I said before, it's a poor transfer strategy that they're using at the moment. And it's just a sad circle, really, because well, you need these players, as, for example, uh, Dortmund are doing, but at the same time, the club isn't attracting these players. Mm. A young French player who's coming from Paris Saint-Germain, and Fiorentina tried to scout him, and instead he's gone to Pescara. Mm. Oh, and if you're, yeah. losing, if you're losing out on players like this to Pescara, you've really, you know, you're, doing, you're not doing something right. Mm. At the same time, you can't just keep loaning players. And I wouldn't compare the managerial situation anyway but if I could compare one team uh, thankfully it's not so drastic but if you look at Olympique Marseille in France of course they're just loaning players and loaning players and loaning players these players aren't really ever playing for another contract at the club or they're just biding their time and they're not doing great and if all you're doing is loaning players every year and you're not actually buying them then you're never going to have a steady team Especially if you don't <laughs> sign them afterwards. You look at Teo, we've had to take him on another loan deal instead of paying the eight million because the club are too stingy to pay another two million. Completely agree there. And then you look at the fact that you've got rid of one of the shining lights of the Fiorentina squad and Joshua Brillanti. He's gone Ah, what were we doing then? Nick? What were you doing? He's gone back to Sydney FC. I was very disappointed to see that. Could have been, uh, could have been the young soccer who could have been the next big thing at Fiorentina. It was a sad day. We were talking about him on Twitter. In fact, right. it was the fact that he played his first game in 2013 against Roma. He did one mistake where I think he either didn't touch the ball at all or he did a poor back pass and it latched on and Nangalan scored. And Fiorentina, of course, went to go on to that game. Montella benched him and never played him again. And he went out on loan to Empoli and then to another team that was in Serie B. And now he's gone back to Sydney. Yeah, Sydney FC. Good signing. Your loss. It is a loss. It's, it's these things when you don't put faith in all the smaller players. They're starting to do it a bit more, which is a good thing. Uh, for those that were watching the game, you would have seen Federico Chiesa started the game. 18-year-old who played on the wing. Uh, the son, of course, of Enrico Chiesa which is, it can make some people feel old to see uh, his son playing it. And you've even got Bernadeschi slightly beginning to put more faith in the youngsters. Mm. And there's even Minelli as well from the Primavera. But the shame of it is is that it doesn't always pay off. Is Babacar still at Fiorentino? But I believe he is, yes. Uh, the problem is is that the club, it's seeming that they might need to cut one striker go. Because they put Rossi on loan last year and now he's back. And the club want to give faith in him again. Perhaps he could stay now that Mario Gomez is, of course, shipped off to Wolfsburg for six million. It's always a sorry state to see a club like it, but maybe they can push. At least uh, they're not in the state of uh, some teams, are Nick? AC Milan, yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah well, that's uh, exactly AC Milan. They, uh, <laughs> they had, a, they had a, a good game in sorts. And in the other half, they cancelled it out completely. 
because they won 3-2 against Mihailovic's Torino. And they went 3-1 ahead. A hat-trick from Carlos Baca. Everything looked all jolly. And in the last minute, in classic Milan fashion, they collapsed and gave away a penalty. And if it wasn't for yet another miraculous wonder from the wonder kid 17-year-old Gianluigi Donnarumma, they'd have thrown everything away. And it just seems classic Milan. I mean, they absolutely fell asleep in the last five minutes. It was pretty, it was quite shoddy, really. But um, I tweeted at the beginning of the game, actually, that uh, I was, I I looked at their lineup and I was actually relatively um, optimistic about Milan's season, just looking at it, because I thought that front three, which looked very, very dangerous today, Suso, who showed last season at Genoa what a you know, talent he actually is. Then you've also got Carlos Baca, who has eventually decided to actually stay at Milan because didn't really want to go to West Ham, which I can understand. And uh, and then Mbeniang, who, if he hadn't been injured last season, Mihailovic possibly could have kept his job. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's kind of a bit outlandish to say, but uh, considering Milan's firing rate, but, you know, he, was, he looked really, really good last season. He looked really good today. And then also you look at their midfield. Bonaventura had an excellent season last season. Montalivo is still a pretty decent player. No, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop you right there, Liam. I I th- I, <laughs> I still think Montalivo's got you know relative quality. I don't I don't think he's you know as bad as you know he's not as good as he was as he once was obviously. But and is he still good enough to lead the team? Um, I mean I think they'd obviously Montella would obviously I think love to upgrade on him. Mm-hmm. But I think for right now, he's not a bad player. I mean, for what they're aiming for, which Montella has admitted as Europa League, I don't think they're that far off it. I really don't. And if they can maybe get one or two signings in just to add a bit of depth in there, then I think they could be very, very good. And, you know, they've also got, I mean, we don't know what might be happening with Lapadula. You know, is he going back on loan to Pescara? But he looked very good in Serie B last season. And again, it's, he's a risk that they've, they've taken a risk on him, but he's a relatively cheap risk that they've taken a risk on. And, you know, he could pay off. He's consistently uh, been able to jump up with the, every league. So he was at Taramo two seasons ago in, uh, in the third division. And then he jumped up to Pescara, Serie B, scored a ton of goals. I don't see why he couldn't make the jump up to Serie A and score, you know, 10 to 15 goals. And that'd be a pretty decent first season for him. So, yeah, I think, I think you know, there's, you know, even though it's something that it's been a very underwhelming summer for Milan, I don't think it's as bad as it all as it seems, really. It's interesting, the Montella's comment, uh, while it's, it might be, maybe it's just somewhat refreshing to hear some honesty with these teams, but isn't it a bit of a sad state for AC Milan to actually be saying outwardly, Europa League is our goal? Like, isn't, isn't that a crazy world? Like, what? It seems insane to me, like, you know, growing up, knowing what AC Milan is. Like, I don't know. Is it just me or does that just seem crazy? No, it, I mean, it does. In a way, it seems crazy. But at the same time, based on the the last two seasons, it's not crazy. And I think the club has kind of been blinded by this belief that it deserves to be in the Champions League in a way. Mm. And I think some actual kind of some harsh reality, which I think this kind of is from Montella, will serve the club good because I think it it needs to realise that this is a long process a long rebuilding process there's no easy solutions which they've kept trying constantly you know firing coaches left right and centre every season and you know they need to give Montella two seasons at least to at least try and get this side consistent you know Europa League football and then try and make a step up into the Champions League and they've got new money coming in. We don't know if they'll be able to use it this summer, but maybe in January, you know, they could make it possibly make a late push to that third spot. Who knows? It could be interesting pushing for a third spot when you've got players such as Gabriel Paletta in your squad. <laughs> God. But before we move on to a question that we've got from one of our listeners, it's just in fact what you said there that they could perhaps push even further. Is Montella this type of coach? You saw him at Fiorentina and he just went stale after a few seasons. Yeah, but I still think he's he did really well at Fiorentina. I mean, was it three consecutive fourth place finishes? Mm-hmm. But, yes. Yeah, I mean that's you know that's nothing to be kind of. Uh, oh, by no means. But if if Milan fans, for example, as you said, they were blinded by the belief that they should be finishing in the places where they did in the glory days, surely they're going to get a bit frustrated if they do the same thing as Fiorentina did. There's going to be this belief that they deserve. Better. I mean, they probably will. Uh, you know, I I, I think. Uh, my position in that 
they're, they're being realistic and that Montella's being completely reasonable is probably coming from the fact that I don't really have any emotional ties to Milan, you know, but obviously if you do have an emotional tie and you're a fan, that it's going to be slightly disappointing, you know, not to hear that you're not that ambitious, you know, you're not trying to get back into the Champions League again, but the fans have to be realistic and this is going to take a long time, but I know that's kind of a lot to ask for from uh, football fans. Going back to Montella's comment, I do kind of, I do agree that Europa is really the best bet and it's kind of probably going a bit opposite to what you said Liam but um, I, I think they, they do as you said they need to kind of they're rebuilding and they need to do that but it just makes me think why they're doing that with Montelivo still stuck in that midfield because why not bring in someone young with a bit of talent that they can actually build around because it seems like they're just hanging on to him in the middle and he's not he's just not he's not that kind of midfielder that they need to really have that presence there's there's no presence there and I can only imagine how it is for AC Milan fans it just must be so frustrating and I feel like Connell as you said I think the whole going style concept I think their midfield is style a lot because of him so I really think you know it is a rebuilding phase for the club obviously but they should be rebuilding with some some kind of freshness or young talent in that midfield, and I just I don't understand why Montalivo is still there. Exactly, exactly. You can't have a player in the middle of a pitch that walks at uh, the pace of a tortoise. <laughs> it's not possible. Before we actually look at Torino, I want to talk about that fan comment that I said about before. It's from uh, it's on Twitter. It's from Daniel Jafari, and the reason I mention it, Liam, is because you mentioned Lapadula earlier on. And he asks, where was he in this Milan-Torino game? You said that he's perhaps injured. He hasn't he hasn't featured at all during preseason. Could be going back to Pescara. Yeah, I mean that's what I've read. That here, obviously, he hasn't featured during preseason. It's probably going to take him quite a few weeks to actually get into the starting lineup. And I, even then, I think it's quite unlikely because uh, Carlos Baca looks well. He looked great today. Um, to be honest, I wouldn't mind if he went back to Pescara because then we could actually see him in Serie A, see if he can actually make the step up at a club where there isn't as much pressure as there is at AC Milan. I think that probably, that probably would have been the best move for him. I don't really see why he made the move straight to AC Milan. I would have gone. I would have liked to have seen him gone to a club like Genoa or just stayed at Pescara this season. I want to link this back up to what Nick said about it being a sad state, really. And of course, there is the argument you have to start somewhere and that you always have to give players a chance. But is this not also sad that this is Milan's aspirations? As good as he may have played, you're signing a player from Serie B who's developed quite late, quite frankly, in his career. Is this, is this really what you want to be signing instead of your Ibrahimovic's? Could they have paid Ibrahimovic's wages? Would he have... I don't think he would have gone there, you know, even mm. though it might have been slightly a romantic kind of move. But no matter who the player, you're still taking someone from Serie B, which... But it's a high... It's personally, I would have no problem against it, but I've seen some fans have taken... They've taken a problem with it. But it, I think it's quite a low-risk move. They haven't... They've signed him for 8 million euros or something. I think it's a low price like that. It's... It's still, in terms of inflation in football, it's a low price, but yeah. it's still a hefty price to pay for an unproven Serie A. But I think, you know, even if he flo- even if he scores like five goals or something like that, you could sell him or lo- loan him back. You know, I, I don't think it's, I think it's a, for a club like Milan, I don't think it's the worst move in the world. And we've seen, you know, in other leagues like the Premier League and stuff like that. And, I, you know, I don't want him to compare him to Jamie Vardy because we've already dubbed oh, Pavoletti. We've already dubbed. <laughs> Pavoletti as the Italian Jamie Vardy, but it's you know it's not impossible that a player can step up from Serie B and make it in Serie A. I mean we've actually seen that with Pavoletti. Pavoletti was excellent last season, and he'd barely ever played Serie A football before. You're making Vieri's blood boil just at the mention <laughs> of Jamie Vardy and Lapadula in the same sense. <laughs> well, uh, moving on from Milan, let's talk Torino real quick. Simple as the defense. There's no. Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Camille Glick, there's no defense, it seems. Yeah, that was always going to be the big problem with Torino going forward for this season. Obviously, their attack is quite is a lot of exciting things happening in their attack but um, it's a very different defense this season and untested in some ways so it's going to take a few games to for that defense to try and get something together and really Mihalovic has got a big task on his hand to be honest but I don't think anyone questioned what they could possibly do they were always going to be a goal threat against many teams this season which um you know and in the first podcast i said that they were possibly one of those teams that could surprise many but that's very much rests on their ability to solidify that defense so um it didn't look great will he just go from bad to worse as soon as maximovic has gone because he's seemingly on the way out and he didn't even play today yeah exactly so that kind of it looks like that's going ahead, so it's even less in defence. So it's a bit disappointing, actually, because I, you know they're one of those teams that you don't mind seeing go well. So I don't know, Mihalovic, He's a he's a motivator by trade, I guess. So he can maybe work a miracle in that defence. I don't know. One last player on Torino that I want to talk about is a player that you and I both know quite well, Adam Jajic. How is he going to fare under Mihalovic? Because we didn't get to see much of him today. He went off in the 28th minute with what looked to be quite a nasty injury, but hopefully he comes back soon. But when he does, do you see him having an impact at all? He slightly did it into. Yeah, well, I mean, again, I, I mentioned this in the, the first podcast. I, I really think he's a great signing for Torino. He's going to have a, a lot more responsibility in the Torino attack and... As I said, uh, with Inter last season, he was very much how many games I was looking to him because he looked like the most likely to create. And I think he he would fit in perfectly, um, not only for himself, but providing for Andrea Belotti up front. I think um, he could really do wonders for them. And, you know, he hasn't necessarily um, fully reached his potential in a lot of ways. So maybe Mihalovic is the type of coach that can bring that, bring that little bit extra, I don't know, Pizzazz about him to um really pizzazz. <laughs> it was the first thing <laughs> in my mind. Um, that bit of oomph for Lyage. He just I don't know. He's you can see it there. He just he just you know needs to bring that out. I really I really rate him. So I really want him to do well. Do you, do you wish injured captain? Um yes and no. I mean yeah. I do, I do in some ways like because of that aspect that he was very much the creator in a lot of games, but. At the same time, I I don't want us to be spending any more money in our attack. So yeah, yeah no, I understand. That. <laughs> yeah, so but um, I'm sure we'll breeze past that a bit later. I wish Fiorentina would have kept him, but some things and some things as well, Nick. You just can't ignore. We've mentioned a Milan side. We've mentioned poor defenses. Stop avoiding it. Sure, you don't want to talk about Cagliari or no, 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 no. I, well, we 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 have our schedule set. We're 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 going straight for Inter on this one, because <laughs> would you believe it? They won and lost two 0 to Kievo. Walter Bierta scoring both goals there. What on earth, Nick? What on earth, indeed? It's almost like the 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 off season circus has continued into round one, really. And I can't really put too much blame on Deboa. Like he's obviously only had thirteen days in charge. But but everything kind of was clear uh, an hour before kickoff when the lineup came out and Ranocchio was starting. 
Andrea Ranocchio starting for Inter in the Serie A. I mean, the question marks are there, obviously. And then you think maybe, maybe, maybe he's changed. Maybe he's a new man, a new defender. But no, he comes out and produces absolute shit. He was at fault at both the goals, really. Like, I just don't understand. I don't, I don't, and I don't know if it's hard to know how much control Dubois will even have or how much of a say he'll have it with the transfers. But, and then you see in the paper today that Inter's possibly looking at buying Sissoko in our attack. You look at Inter's attack, we have, what, Perisic on the left there, Beniga in the middle, Kondreva on the right, and Icardi at the front, and then you've got Idur as an extra to that. What, what, what are we doing? I mean, it's the same, same old with Inter, buying these players ad hoc just because we need more attack, we need more attack. It's that whole, well, if we score more goals, then we'll win, so it's fine. It's not, I mean, yeah, technically, yeah, it makes sense, but in real life, it doesn't work. It, sorry, it doesn't work. So, uh, you know, we've done it with Shakiri, with Podolsky, with Leic, with Ed, well, Eder was a bit kind of ad hoc as well, and now it's kind of hard to almost fit him in. Um, he started instead of Perisic today, which I thought was a bit odd. So continually looking at spending on our attack, and yet Andrea Ranocchia is starting for Inter. And that's pretty much all you need to know about what's going on with the team because it's, I don't know who's managing this, it's, you know, the new owners or what, but it's a bit of a joke. And, you know, with that said, the result isn't that surprising. But I should say, I'll give credit to Kievo because they fully deserved the win um, and the goals were, were quite, uh, particularly second, were quite quite nice goals, really. So, um, and he made a mockery of our defence. So, Connell, I know um, Fiorentina could probably use some defenders. So, what do you think? How much... How much for a Ranocchio? Take Tomovic. No, <laughs> Ranocchio needs to... He didn't cut it at Sampdoria. He either needs a, a change of scenery in a different country or he just needs to accept that he's a Serie B player, it seems. And it, it's confusing as to why the coach is giving faith in him too. I just, like, obviously, um, Murillo was suspended for this game, but the fact that he's our only backup, that's... a serious problem and that's something that needs to be dealt with and not to mention that I mean our wingbacks we have Nagatomo I mean that's we don't have world-class wingbacks let's be honest so that that was one of the first areas we should have been buying last season so there's a lot of weaknesses in the inter defense and midfield that need to be strengthened so I just it boggles my mind and I kind of sit here and I wonder is it just me am I you know it's like the whole world sees this except I don't know, the inter-coach, the inter-management, it's, it's, it boggles the mind. I, don't, I just don't know how to even justify what they're doing. Some people just don't learn from mistakes. Mm. So, it's yeah, it's, it's hard to know where the season's even going to go at this point. New owners, new coach, but... Going on to this right, Nick, surely they're on a collision course for falling out of Europa League if this... Uh, hints anything for the rest of their season, with this attitude at least. Yeah, it doesn't bode well for future prospects. You know, and I don't want to be completely negative. We still we still got to, I mean, like I said, that I keep saying that front four is amazing. Arguably one of, one of the best, let's say, top two in Serie A. Um, so it's, and you know, you've got the likes of Miranda. You've got something to build off of. Miranda was one of the best um, centre-backs last season. So there, there is, there, there's there's a kind of a framework there to work with, just fill in the gap, someone. So it's, I don't know, for this season, to be honest, I've, I've never been so unsure about how winter's going to go in a season as I am this season because we still have the talent to do quite well, but uh, just knowing what's going on um, behind the scenes at the club, I mean... I could very much see us dropping out of the Europa placings for the first half of the season. And Europa League, you know, it's hard to see how we would go that well in um, there either. But, you know, look, I, we, we lost 2-0, what, a matter of a couple of hours ago. So, you know, I'm still slightly depressed. So maybe tomorrow it'll be a brighter day and maybe 
Maybe I can see the Scudetto again. Maybe you'll have a reverse of last season. This time we have an incredibly crap start and uh, an excellent finish. Who knows, you might win. Could do. Well, a question for Interfans, any of you listening. Tell us if you do feel the Nick's run is justified. I mean, surely it must be the, the way the club is. So make sure to get in touch about that. Nick, uh, a final thing I just want to add to it, just to scare you even more, to make you panic even more. You're facing Juventus in under a month's time. Yeah, and I'm actually going to be at that match too, so <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it might be quite brutal making the trip to Italy to cover your eyes, cover your eyes. Yeah, very scary. Um, we've got going to have the likes of Pjanic, Higuain, or Dybala coming at that defence. I can tell you if Ranocchia starts, we'll be beaten 5-0. I, I, sorry, I can't get past him. I mean, did you see the goals? What was he doing? Liam <laughs> like, quite enjoyed himself on that one. Like, I, just, I honestly yeah. love to just sit with Ranocchia, sit him down and play the goals, play, play the footage and just say to him, so just here, what the f- were you doing here? Just, just explain what's going through your head. Just, just for my own sanity, what, what were you doing? Like, Maybe maybe it came out wrong. Maybe you're trying to achieve something else. What what was the end goal of what you were doing just there? I'd, I'd love to know what goes through his head. I would love to. To be fair to Ranocchia, Nick, I don't think anything goes through his head. I think that's kind, yeah. of, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of the, the problem there. You know, he's, his face just... You want to you want to hope that Sassuolo do end up signing him, Nick. Yeah. Imagine if he goes to Sassuolo and just amazing, just instantly... Gets them into the Europa yeah. League. Just yeah. Absolute beast, you know. Like, I mean, they do have, you know, an amazing record at kind of making, turning around Italian players. Although, would you say that, it's completely going off topic here, Sassuolo, do they need a defender like him? In fact, you look, they've got a Charpi, Lucantai. I mean, I wouldn't say they really need... I, mm. I mean, I, I wouldn't say they need Ranocchia, that's for sure. <laughs> exactly. It looks like you might be stuck with him, Nick. When... <laughs> right. I'm sure there must be some kind of young Italian defender who they could you know, get on the cheap and uh, develop instead of Ranocchia. Palermo's golden nigger. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm not going to roll you up anymore, Nick. Although, it could come as some comfort to you, and it might not. But just before you play Juventus... You'll be playing Pescara, but if Sunday night's fixtures are anything to go by, they might be a tough team to play against because they actually drew tool against Napoli and could have won the game if it wasn't for a second-half brace from Andres Mertens. They went 2-0 up, guys. Yeah, I thought they were really impressive, to be fair, uh, obviously in the first half. And it's nice to see that um, Massimo Oddo is you know, trying to build a side that can you know, try play attacking football in Serie A. You know, it's, it's great to see teams... Uh, especially teams coming up from Serie B, you know, not just kind of try and eke out draws and you know maybe like the odd one 0 win and actually go for it. Uh, um, and there's a great, I think there's a great kind of uh, photo that's going around Twitter that I saw earlier of when the second half started. I think they had pretty much everyone apart from the defensive midfielder and the two centre backs starting on the halfway line, very kind of uh, Zeman like. So they could be pretty fun this season, yeah, especially if they get Lapadula back. But obviously that's not definite yet. And, of course, it's a big shame for Napoli, the, the outcome. A bit embarrassing, in fact, to go 2-0 behind to a, a newly promoted team. And You can blame all you want on the fact that Higuain isn't there, but the fact in the end is that Higuain is not a midfielder, a defender, or a goalkeeper. Yeah, it was. Um, they started really, really badly in that, uh, and they just they just didn't get going. And It's the first game, and you, you don't really want to draw any conclusions uh, from the first game of the season. But um, to be fair, you have to... Sarri will be kind of a bit, uh, pleased that they were able to get back into the match because it would have been pretty bad headlines to start the season after losing Higuain with a loss. Obviously, conceding two goals to Pescara. Do you think Koulibaly, there's been that, that talk of him uh, going to Chelsea? Um, it looks like he's one of Antonio Conte's targets. Do you think um, maybe he had something else on his mind there? Because, I mean, it, it wasn't that kind of solid defence that you'd expect from them. I mean, possibly, but I generally, you know, I don't think players kind of think like that. I don't think he would have been, you know, thinking of kind of his, you know, potential move to Chelsea at that point. I mean, maybe he has been distracted in recent weeks and um, that's possibly ruined his preparation or something like that. But no, I, I think probably just general 
defensive shoddiness from Napoli, really. All too easy to stand there dreaming about that lucrative paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> also, I've always said this, you've got Albion on defence. I thought Albion was pretty decent last season. Maybe you're right, but it's whether, you know, do Napoli have the money unless they sell someone? That's the question. Well, selling someone, uh, Napoli fans won't be happy to hear it, but there is this tiniest potential, and it's probably far too late on for them now to do it, but you'll see in perhaps January or even maybe next summer, is that there's rumours that Lorenzo Insigne won't sell. But hopefully for Napoli's sake, it's um, it's not going to happen at this sake, uh, time. As you mentioned, it's quite late. But, I mean, that would be a massive double blow if um, if they lost him after Higuain. So I think Napoli really, for the sake of their fans, really need to make, make Insigne happy. Um, I mean, the amount of goals and assists that they would be losing with the the two of them, I mean, it's it's too much. You want Napoli to be pushing still. You don't want them to drop back down. And surely it's it's symbolic for a, a Napolitan to stay at the club. As soon as he goes, you see you got real troubles. Yeah, well, if if he goes, then you know it only takes a couple to for others to follow. I mean, then I mean, you've got the other midfielders that might start to think, well, you know, maybe I need out too. So. Napoli's still got that framework and the same that of, of last season. So they really should be trying to keep those key players there, obviously minus Higuain. But as I mentioned um, on the first pod, you know, they've got that attacking talent behind that can provide, you know, which provides Gabbiadini a great opportunity to really prove his worth. And obviously with Milik there as well, that helps. You know, I mean, it wouldn't be the end of the world if Insigne went, but I really think confidence-wise even, it's important that he stays. You're listening to the Italian Football Fancast. Visit us at ForzaItalianFootball.com We're going to move on to one final game of this podcast, of this week. And it was yet another thriller, lots of goals, seven goal thriller this time, between Atalanta and Lazio in Bergamo. Finished 4-3 to Lazio, and it was action-packed. Lazio went 3-0 up, two goals grabbed back from Frank Kessie for Atalanta. And then just just when it looked as if Atlanta had a way back into the game, Danilo Cataldi scored in the 89th minute. You all thought it was over. And it wasn't another goal this time from Betania. It just wasn't enough for Atalanta. But the key point from this game, this is uh, something a positive that Ladea fans can take from, especially our own editor-in-chief, Conor Clancy, is that the youngsters seem to be doing well. And despite the fact of all these transfers out of the club, even last season, you had the, the key man, Homan Dennis, leave. And these youngsters seem to keep on performing. In fact, Connor's written up a, a feature about it over on the site, at ForzaItalianFootball.com. You can read all about it, and the absolute phenomenal youth academy. And guys, do you think this will be enough to keep them up this season? Because they did have struggles at the end of last year. If Gasparini holds off on the kind of all-out attack that he generally has liked, kind of the setup that he's liked before. But I think we saw with, at the end of the second half of last season with Genoa, he's became a slightly more defensive, slightly more uh, kind of reserved in their play. And it, it improved their results remarkably. And I think they finished about 10th around there. So as long as he can keep that decent defensive structure, then I think Atalanta will be fine. They're very quickly switching over to the other side, Nick. Lazio... A lot of positives, of course, going 3-0 ahead. Lots of negatives as well, almost giving up such a lead. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's a win for them, which is obviously good to start the season, so it's something to build off, but a lot of concerns with their defence, and um, I mean, the general play, obviously, possession and all that isn't everything, but from what I've seen, they were quite dominated by Atalanta in that, and dominated by, as you mentioned, some youngsters, so... I thought that was quite concerning when you've got the likes of uh, Bilia and Parolo. Less than 30% possession they had, so I thought that was quite interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure what um, what happened there. So you'd expect a bit more from Lazio against a team like Atalanta. You know, again with all with all due respect to Atalanta, there's obviously been a few problems over the off season there, and um, I'm not sure about the culture in the club. It's it, for a couple of seasons. Well, last season it was a bit questionable. So, yeah, hopefully they can kind of get it together. But, you know, it is a win. A win's a win. So it's something to build off. So I'm sure they'll take the positives and definitely try and work on that defence. 
Okay, guys, so a lot of defensive problems going on, but it's early in the season. We'll see what comes out of it. But for now, let's just wrap up the scores. We, of course, had the game that we just talked about, Atalanta 3, Lazio 4. Other games we didn't talk about, though, were Bologna, who won 1-0 against newly promoted Crotone with almost a last-minute goal from Mattia Destro. Of course, Kiev will be into 2-0. Meanwhile, Sampdoria beat Empoli 1-0 away from home with Muriel being the goal scorer there. Genoa beat Calgary 3-1 with some quick-fire goals there, Laxar included. Swallow beat Palermo away from home. Berardi has the chance to make it 2-0, but he did hit the crossbar. And of course, the other games were Pescara 2, Napoli 2, Milan 3, Torino 2, Juventus 2, Fiorentino 1. And of course, Roma 4, Udinese 0. Guys, before we actually wrap up, it's a thing that's been going on at ForzaItalianFootball.com is that we've got our own fantasy Serie A league going on, fantasy football league, and all of you listeners can uh, join up and play with all of us. What you need to do is go to fantasyseria.com, sign up there. It's really easy and fast. Use the league name Forza Italian Football or type in the code FIF League and you can join in with us and potentially win a prize at the end. <laughs> go ahead. And uh, even our, our well esteemed writers here, they've got some tips for you as well. So Liam, what are your three key players for a fantasy football team? You have to get Higuain in there just for the sheer number of goals he's going to get this season, I think. I'd also put, why not go, just get Dybala in there as well? Sorry, I know these aren't original picks, but who cares? And then finally, I'd also go with Perotti as well. I think I really like Perotti, and I think he could really, really do well for Roma this season. And Nick, not all into players, please. Hmm. I think uh, an interesting one could be actually Gabbiadini for Napoli. I think he'll... Um... He'll be a lower-priced option, but as I mentioned earlier, he's um, you've got the likes of Hamsik and Signe providing for him, working the nine with Callion as well. I think he could be a, get some good returns. He he's, was on form in a lot of his preseason matches and netted quite a few, so I think he could be a, a good pick and possibly a lower-priced. Who else? I think Connell, you're not going to like this, but uh, Mohamed Salah. I think he's definitely, um, he seems to be uh, involved in a lot of Roma's uh, positive play going forward. So I think he'll be definitely there getting assists or finishing off uh, throughout the season. In defence, um, I'll add a third. Um, I think Ranocchio could really make a difference this season. <laughs> Actually, just to, just to be a bit more original, I guess, maybe Sapanara as well. I really <laughs> like Sapanara. Um so, and I think, you know, possibly because it's empty, not exactly expensive either. Of course, if you want my absolutely intelligent picks, I want to go with Danny Alves in defence, Roger Neingelen, and Domenico Berardi. In fact, Berardi, he's been on quite quite the running form for Sassuolo, been involved in almost all of their goals in recent games. So it's definitely one to keep an eye on. All right, and, that, and that is all for this week's podcast. And remember, if you want to keep up with all the latest features from Syria. Check out ForzaItalianFootball.com. We are becoming a more primarily features-based site. Of course, there are are bits of breaking news that you won't want to miss. And go along and find out about all these features, about the ones that Connor has been writing, and uh, or even ones by our very own Liam, which are the winners and losers of the Serie A round. You can see those every week. Don't forget, you can follow our Twitter at Serie FFC. We've got our Instagram, which is simply Forza Italian Football, and our Facebook too, on all of which you can ask us questions, which we will answer on the podcast for you. So thanks from all of us here. Have a good week. You have been listening to the Italian Football Fancast. I don't know what else to say, really, without going on a swearing rampage. Entra ancora per Cacciatore all'indietro, Birsa a sedere Ranocchia, 1-0 per il Chievo, 1-0 per il Chievo!
because... <laughs> Davanti a Serra Nokia. Ma come si fa? Ma come si fa? Ma come si fa? Ma come si fa dopo tre minuti prendere un gol dalla squadra del genere alla prima azione? Fai un sorriso, vai! Keep going to when everyone just laps it up. And that's what you pay 19 million for. You just tap in. fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states united healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com even when we're on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.